Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Delighted to be with you on this Thursday, late February. We're closing in on the NFL Combine. We are ready for the season ceremonial second half in the NBA. There couldn't be more going on. Let's get this thing rolling. Here we go! Only one place to start. Justin Fields unfollowing the Chicago Bears to me is something you cannot overstate. I'm just trying to take a little break. I unfollow the Bears and the NFL, bro. I'm not just trying to have football on my timeline. You can buy it, not buy it, believe it, not believe it. That's up to you. He's absolutely brilliant, and by him I don't mean Adam Schefter, although Shefty is brilliant too, but that was Justin Fields putting on a master class in how to send a message and maintain plausible deniability. That's not an easy thing to do in life, but he has done it. I love everything about that kid. I've loved Justin Fields for a long time. I'll tell you when I first fell in love with him. We got hashtag Hembo, hashtag Cam, and I assume Clueless Nick back in Bristol with us this morning as well. Pineapple Jack may make an appearance as the day goes on. The hashtag crew is just growing and growing in only the worst ways. <laughs> oh, there he is. There's Clueless Nick. He is with us this morning. Nice to have you back, uh, CN. Anyway, uh, here's the point that I'll make on Justin. I fell in love with Justin Fields at the beginning of COVID. COVID was for all of us a complicated and fascinating time. And my experience with it was when the world shut down for everyone else, it didn't shut down for me. They moved me, uh, they moved Get Up, which was at that point exclusively me, from our studios here in New York because the city shut down up to Bristol where I did the show every day. But we never missed a day. We did not miss a single day of doing our show. And... When you're sitting in there by yourself, which I was, all of our analysts, of course, were all over the place and they would come on FaceTime or whatever else it was. And it was just me and one production assistant in the studio, a terrific young woman named Caroline Hendershot, who now works for the Jets. Those are times that you really have a lot of, of, of space to think things through. And you may recall that an announcement was made, as it turned out prematurely, by Kevin Warren who was then the the commissioner of the Big Ten. He's now the president of the Chicago Bears, ironically. But Kevin Warren announced the Big Ten is not playing football this year. We're done. We're not playing. It's not safe. It's not good. We can't do it. We're shutting down. And some of the other conferences weren't doing that. The SEC was going to play, and I forget exactly the order in which these things fell. But when it started to become clear that it was not impossibly dangerous for football to be played. You may recall the total uncertainty that existed in the earliest stages of the, of the pandemic, and that's where we were then. Justin Fields, quarterback Ohio State, who if there had been no season, was a lock to be the second pick in the draft behind Trevor Lawrence, who had basically nothing to gain from a personal standpoint by the season being played, organized what can best be described as a movement 
among Big Ten players and families. He was at the forefront of it, leading the charge to say, we want to play. And the leadership he displayed, the courage that he displayed, I mean, I think it's easy for a 21-year-old college kid to stand up to the commissioner of the conference and everybody else during that of all times. He did it. So I love that kid. I have rooted for him ever since then. I, I, I loved everything that he displayed in his makeup during that. And so I've always rooted for him. Then he gets drafted by the Bears, which is my sort of adopted second team based on my family and everything else. And I have watched them systematically destroy his career. What they did to him was no more destructive than what the Jets did to Sam Darnold, than what the Giants did to Daniel Jones, than what the, um, who else has been a big bust of like the Patriots did to Mac Jones? None of that. And you know who persevered? Justin. He said the right things always. He kept fighting always. He kept leading always. And considering all the circumstances, he played pretty damn well. He didn't set the world on fire, but he played pretty well. So I am 100% of the opinion that he has a chance to be an excellent player. The fact that what happened in Chicago at the beginning of his career has not destroyed him will only make him stronger. And thus, as he now handles this brilliantly, not demanding me be out, get rid of me, I'm done with you, screw you all in Chicago. No, no, no. He unfollows them. So the message is sent, and he maintains the plausible deniability. Oh, why do people make such a big deal about social media anyway? Hilarious. Hilarious. Even I, 56 years old, know that it is an intentional act to unfollow someone or something on social media, and you don't do it without a reason. So I think this has been masterfully handled by Justin Fields. I think by the end of next week, by a week from tomorrow, Friday at the Combine, he will have been traded. Pittsburgh, Atlanta, and there are always surprises. You never know. Someone we don't expect might pop in. But that's the way this is going to go. It's the best thing for him. At this point, it is also the best thing for the Bears. It could wind up being the kind of trade that winds up working out very well for both sides. So that's where it begins today. Mr. Hembo, what do you think? I have a question for you. My question is this. Which team had the fourth pick in 2021, the year Justin Fields was drafted, after quarterbacks went one, two, and three. Yeah, Atlanta, and they took Kyle Pitt. Right. Their GM, Terry Fontenot, was the GM at the time. That was the first draft under Terry Fontenot. My next question for you is this. Who was the head coach of that Falcons team? Arthur Smith. Where is, who he is now the offensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. So these are the two teams that we have primarily linked Justin Fields to. In other words, if one of those two teams is going to trade for him, someone is going to effectively admit that they were wrong at the time, which is sort of a bizarre place to be in, which is why I'm doing my best to see it from 30,000 feet and ask myself, there might be a, we'll call it a mystery team out there, because who knows? You know these people in the NFL aren't that good at changing their opinion. Right. So let's, let's, those are interesting points, and I hadn't considered either of them. Let's start in Pittsburgh. Arthur Smith doesn't have the authority there to make that decision. Now, it would be a very bad sign if he says to Mike Tomlin, look, I, I had the opportunity to draft him. I didn't like X, Y, and Z. I don't think we should bring him here. If I've just hired an offensive coordinator, I don't want him not to be a fan of the quarterback. So I could see that being a factor. One might wonder if those conversations had already taken place. When Mike Tomlin is interviewing 
Arthur Smith to be his new offensive coordinator is the conversation, look, we're going to go after Justin Fields. How do you feel about it? One would assume that came up. It's an interesting one. Terry Fontenot, of course, remains in a decision-making uh, capacity there. Help me remember, because they hadn't drafted the kid from Cincinnati yet um, by then. Desmond Ritter? Right. So who was Atlanta's quarterback then? That was Marcus Mariota still. I want to say in 2021, that was their so quarterback. The, my, the point is they were passing on the opportunity to draft fields because they had Mariota as, as – and they felt. Excuse me, 2021 no, they had Matt was, Ryan. Still, was Matt Ryan's last year there. I got it. And that's why, because, yeah, this is ringing a bell now, because at the time we were asking ourselves, should they draft Justin Fields to be his successor? They wound up taking a tight end that they hardly used. Right. But, but I think the idea of it was, we'll try and make one more run with Matt Ryan. And since then, they've done nothing but draft skill position players, and they've got absolutely nothing to show for it. <laughs> to your point, I mean, that was the first draft I ever hosted. I will remember those players to my dying day. I'll be able to tell you things about quitty pay that you don't otherwise remember, right? Out of Michigan. And, and the, 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 so, so Kyle Pitts was supposed to be the guy who revolutionized the sport. He was going to be the next unstoppable weapon. He was the, the pure weapon. He was not a, a, a tight end. He was an offensive weapon. He was like Travis Kelsey and Kellen Winslow and, and all these guys like rolled into one. And of course, he's done practically none of that. Now, is it because he's not as good as they said he was going to be or they haven't used him correctly? I can't tell you the answer to that. Then they drafted Drake London, another tall receiver, a wide receiver in this case. They drafted him ahead of Garrett Wilson, who has superstar written all over him. And London has been underperforming relative to that. Is that because they have bad quarterback play? I don't know. Then they drafted Bijan Robinson, who was supposed to be the next superstar running back. He was way higher touted than Jameer Gibbs, and they barely used him. So was that Arthur Smith? Was that – I don't know how to explain any of it, I guess, is what I'm saying. The point is they clearly need a quarterback. They have all of those guys still, and they're all still young. All these things happened in the last three, three consecutive drafts. They have taken, like, skill position players high in the draft, all of them top ten. And so they should be set up and ready if they get the right quarterback in place. But my question for you is, as it relates to Atlanta – like, do we have an obvious reason to believe that Terry Fontenot, the GM, is going to feel differently about Justin Fields today than he felt on draft day? And I think the answer is probably not. Greeny, you know as well as I do that people that run NFL teams are people they consider themselves to be the smartest men in the room. Like, universally. I don't think Atlanta is going to make that decision in part because I bet their evaluation of him has not changed that much since then. And in the case of Pittsburgh... If, if, if there's anything we've seen over the last three years is that Arthur Smith is not that good at plugging people into a system or changing his system based upon the adaptation of their skill set. So that's why I think that Pittsburgh and Atlanta are much less likely than the public are saying, in large part because of what happened in the 2021 draft. So then who? I'm gonna I mean, these a- are excellent. Let me start with this. That's really well done on your part. Because I've not heard anyone say either of those two things. And they're extremely interesting. Whether they wind up being how this thing gets decided or not, they're extremely interesting to me. Now that you've said that, give me a, another logical contender. New England. The Patriots pick at three. Hmm. But as our Matt Miller tweeted the other day, this is an opinion that I agree with, the Patriots right now don't have the infrastructure 
to handle the development of a quarterback that you draft that highly. This is a bottom five roster in the NFL by any reasonable standard of measure, and they probably have the worst offensive line in the whole sport. It is, it is a place where a quarterback is very likely to go to fail if they ask him to play right away. Justin Fields is going to cost you $6 million next year, and then if you pick up his fifth-year option, it's going to be $22 million. That's a very affordable price as you rebuild this thing. You have the opportunity to trade down from three, to aggregate another first-round pick. Who knows? Maybe it is Atlanta. Maybe it's the Giants. Maybe it's the Raiders. And all of a sudden, you can build your roster around Justin Fields. And while that's not a great option for Justin Fields, it is a great option for the Patriots. That would suck for Fields. <laughs> I mean, that would just... I mean, that, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but the, the, re, the reasoning behind what you're saying is we're not ready for a young quarterback to come in here and play well so we'll throw a sacrificial lamb out there until we are. We know he's good at getting beat up. And for that sacrificial lamb to be Justin would really be a shame for him. I hear what you're saying. Um, if you're going to do that, if you're New England, you there'd probably be some less expensive options. By expensive, I don't mean the salary as much as I mean what it's going to cost to get him. Mm. I'm assuming it's going to cost at least a second-round pick and something else to get it. Let me read you this. Cam did a nice job. Trade package ideas for Fields. These are from Courtney Cronin and Field Yates on ESPN.com. Okay. So for the Steelers, they would trade them a two and a four, their second round pick, which is number 51, and then a fourth round pick. The Falcons could send their second round pick this year, which is number 43. The Raiders could send a third round pick and Hunter Renfro. To Chicago. But the Raiders, can you remind everyone who the Raiders OC is? Yeah, there's zero chance of that. The Raiders OC is Luke Getz. That's why I can't find more teams. Yeah. There just aren't that many landing spots for Justin Fields. And look, maybe either Pittsburgh or Atlanta will decide that they're going to change their minds. But I'm not betting on it based on the way that NFL front office types think. You make a very interesting point. I I will be curious to see where this thing winds up going now. Again, I continue to believe for certain the Bears are going to trade him. And I think it'll happen next week. And if it isn't Pittsburgh or at Pittsburgh or Atlanta, it's going to be very interesting to see where it is. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six minutes. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, we'll tell you why this is one of the great anniversaries in all of sports. That's next on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI 
to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Greeny, the podcast. With you on ESPN Radio, we're presented by Progressive Insurance in 30 seconds. I'll explain why 44 years ago was a day today you will never forget if you are old enough to remember. In the meantime, I'll remind you that ESPN Bet is now live as the official sports book of ESPN. ESPN Bet is the only place to find daily exclusives and offers with your favorite ESPN personalities and shows. Sign up today. New users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Find all your favorite markets and bets like in-game wagering, cross-sport parlays, teasers, and all the props you can handle. That's ESPN Bet. Download today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, I'm not sure if you are aware of it. Hembo, you're not old enough to remember 44 years ago today. Cam, are you old enough to remember 44 years ago today? No, I'm not old enough to remember 27 years ago today. Nick, coolest Nick, are you old enough to remember 44 years ago today? Almost half double my age, so no. How old are you, Nick? I'm 25. Okay. Have you ever seen the movie Miracle? Yeah, I, okay. I'm aware of the event. Then you're aware. <laughs> That's good. You can stay. Okay. I'm aware of the event. I'm aware of the event. Yes, you might word, have heard of it. Word of this may have reached you. You've got 10 seconds. Unbelievable is right. I certainly am old enough to remember it. Um, I remember where I was. I remember the reaction we all had. I remember the spontaneous cheers that just broke out everywhere you were. Um, It was on this day in 1980 that that group of kids beat the unbeatable foe. I mean, they genuinely did. They, They slew the dragon or the giant of all giants in beating the Soviet Union in hockey, and they still had to come back a couple of days later and beat Finland to win the gold medal. But it was this game that will forever be remembered. And obviously, uh, it's a great anniversary, and, and it, it caused uh, Cam to put the question on the screen, is this the most iconic moment in American sports history? It's got to be right up there, right? Moments, iconic comes in a lot of different sizes shapes, forms, and colors, right? So there are a lot of different ways that things can be iconic. In its own way, for something that was just purely a sports victory, meaning Jackie Robinson setting foot on a field in 1947 is different. Um, Billie Jean King taking the court against Bobby Riggs is different. They're, they're, they're iconic for different reasons. For a game to act, for the game and the outcome of the game to be as monumental and consequential as this one was, if we're taking just that into account, then this probably is number one. I have Miracle and Ace as the, as the third most meaningful sporting event of all time, behind only Jackie Robinson breaking the color bar- barrier and Jesse Owens winning gold in Germany. But that, was, of course, was not even on American soil. So I think in terms of, in terms of that, it's hard to compare anything to, to those things. But the way that you put it, I think, is the appropriate way to put it. Just in terms of a sporting event, the outcome of a sporting event, and how much that meant, 
I, I think it would be hard for me to imagine anything ever topping the miracle on ice. You know, the, the things in recent memory, like when Tiger Woods won the Masters in 2019, when we had long since given up, most people, not me, but many people, most people, had given up on the idea that he would ever win anything of consequence again. And then he won the Masters and lifted his son into his arms uh, in triumph on the 18th green, just as he had done with his own father a generation before. That's an iconic moment. The vision of Mike Tyson crawling around on a canvas in Tokyo trying to find his mouthpiece while Buster Douglas, of all people, stood over him. That's an iconic moment. These are things that, that are iconic because of the games themselves, of, of them being played and how they, how they um, impacted sports history. For those who aren't aware, 44 years ago, things in the U.S. were in a really complex place, not in the way they are today. We felt much more like one country then. Um, but that was at a time when these hostages were being held in Iran and that was a, a, a time of real, there were, we were in desperate need of a patriotic, um, moment or something to sort of bind us all together. So somewhat reminiscent, I, I think now of when Mike Piazza hit a home run in the first game back in, after September 11th, um, some of those events in New York city, if, if you were, in this area, of course, hit so hard on 9-11. The running of the marathon about six weeks later was one of the great triumphs that we've ever seen. But it's, 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 that's, that's not the same kind of thing as this. No, I think, I think that the Miracle on Ice probably in its own way stands alone. It stands at number one. If you wouldn't mind sharing, because I, I always like when you tell this story, just give me the cliff notes of the story you share about the people that you went to school with yeah. the context behind that and the memory that you still have today, because that's the kind of thing that you'll remember until the day that you. Yeah. Die. So f- this is February of 1980. So I'm in seventh grade and um, we beat the Russians, the Soviets on a Friday night. We came back two days later on Sunday and beat Finland for the gold medal. The following day I'm changing for gym class. So we're in, you know, the, the locker room in, in my seventh grade class and spontaneously People just start pounding on lockers and chanting USA, USA, USA. This wasn't planned. This wasn't ordained. This just started unto itself. And it's a sound and a memory I will always have. And what is particularly interesting, I've always felt about that, is that I was a student at the United Nations International School, where about 50% of my classmates, so roughly 50% of the kids in that class, were American, and thus the other 50% were not they were the children of UN diplomats. So the, the, the diplomats to the United Nations from all over the world, they come to New York to serve as diplomats, and their children go to this school. So my three best friends growing up, I've always said, I mean, the three best friends I had in my childhood, one was from China, one was from Madagascar, and one was from Canada. Those were my friends. And we played soccer and traded football cards and did all the other things that anyone else did. And the fact that they were not American-born and in one case spoke with a very heavy accent, didn't make any difference to me as there was no reason that it should. But the point of the matter is all those kids, some of whom had been in America for a long time, some of whom were probably there for just a matter of months, were involved. They were all chanting and all, you know, and and some of that, I guess, is just wanting to be a part of the group. But 
it it was a, it was something unlike anything I've ever experienced. I don't just mean that. The closest I can ever remember to feeling like we all came together as a nation, and of course I was a 12-year-old kid for the Miracle on Ice, and I was an adult for September 11th, but the way we came together, I felt, as a nation after September 11th was something that um, was... It was the opposite of that because it, it did not surround a, a joyous celebration. It surrounded a horrific tragedy, but it was a coming together in a way that I honestly, unfortunately, I fear that we would not be capable of doing now. 20-something years after September 11th, I, I fear that if something like that, and it is inevitable that something like that would happen again, candidly, smaller versions of that happen all the time, and it only pulls us further apart. So I don't, I don't, I fear that we are now no longer living in a place where that's even possible. Um, but the celebration of that sporting event was something that united everyone, that everyone was excited about. It didn't matter what state you lived in, the blue, red, none of that made any difference. Um, the, the celebration of the miracle on ice was a celebration that I, I don't remember ever happening in American sports. We, we don't tend to focus on uh, international competition as much as many other countries do, perhaps because our, our major sporting leagues here are so huge and important. Like when the women win the World Cup, like I remember when they won the World Cup in, in um, 99, that I remember being a very, very big deal. Um, what other Olympic things, like Michael Phelps? Like I, I think we all... We all um, we admired the hell out of Michael Phelps, and I think we got excited about it. I don't think we felt a national pride stemming from Michael Phelps's greatness as a swimmer, right? I think we just we just were in awe of what he did. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't think we all came together and said, "Isn't it wonderful that we're an American and an American is doing this?" What what other Olympic stories like that? I, I can't even necessarily think of one. Part of it is that we're almost never underdogs. I mean, we're the United States, so we're not huge underdogs in almost anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that one, we most certainly were. And jog my memory, have you had conversations on the air with Al Michaels about his yes. his famous call? Because like for someone my age, I'm 33, I, because I'm not old enough to remember, think of this as being sort of preordained. Like this was like the... His call effectively dubbed them the Miracle on Ice team, right? Like this was something that was conceived upon them winning it, not before. Unlike the Dream Team and you know things of that nature. Do right. I have that right? Yes. He he will tell you that it was spontaneous. He he will tell you that it was not something he planned to say. That it just came out of his mouth. Had he given it some thought ahead of time, we'll never know. Like Al will tell you, oh no no, I just came up with that one off the top of my head. God bless him. It's, it, it might be the greatest call in the history of sports. It certainly, I think, is the call that is most synonymous, to your point, with the event mm-hmm. of any call in history. I mean, you think about it, they made the movie, they called it Miracle. Would we have called that the Miracle on Ice if Al hadn't said that? Maybe we would have, but it, it is as perfect a call for the moment as there has ever been in sports. Yeah, that's why I think it's so significant, because that moment, especially if it was spontaneous— conceived something that will endure forever and everyone knows what the miracle on ice is when you say it and that's what makes it so powerful all right so let let me play you a few other ones here are some other iconic calls most of them there is a word or name 
in them that will give it away. Like I want, wherever you are listening to this right now, see how quickly you know immediately what event it is. Again, most of them give it away because of the name that is involved. But here are some of the other most legendary calls of all time. This is going to be a home run. Unbelievable. A home run for Gibson. And the Dodgers have won the game five to four. I don't believe what I just saw. I don't believe what I just saw. It's Jack Buck, of course, Gibson's home run, Kirk Gibson's home run off um, uh, 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 Dennis Eckersley in game one of the World Series. Another one of those moments. I one, If you had to go back over the Mike and Mike years to the best interviews we ever did, this wouldn't be the best interview we ever did, but the best stories told we ever had. Oral Hershiser, I think we were down at Disney World, I think this was for one of the ESPN The Weekends, told us in extraordinary detail the story of that at bat and how Lasorda was keeping Gibson hidden. He didn't want them to know that Gibson might hit. And, of course, Hershiser was on that team, and that was the year Hershiser had one of the great seasons that any pitcher had ever had. And um, Hershiser told us the whole story of that at bat and how, what led up to it and Lasorda and the gamesmanship and everything I don't know that we could find the tape of that, and it was long. It was probably a five-minute telling, but it was one of those where you were literally moving towards the edge of your seat as he was telling the story. It was such an iconic... I mean, that's one of the great moments, too. It's totally different because it's one team representing just that one team. If you're in Oakland, you're not real excited about that memory, um, but it is it is certainly one of those that lives forever. One of my favorite lists in our book that's coming out this fall, spoiler alert, is one in which we rank 1 through 10, the uh, top iconic calls in the history of American sports. And what I love about Jack's call there is how he punctuates the believe the second time he says it. Yeah. Like, he says it so powerfully, he returns to it and then changes like, his emphasis, and it's so, so perfect. Here's another one for you. Can you believe this ball game at Shea? Oh, brother. 1st behind the bag it gets through Buckner here comes Knight and the Mets win it I mean that's so it's 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 poetry and the, the fact that he chooses to use the word delirious mm. is so spectacular for those who don't know that's Vin Scully's call of the legendary you know game six of the 86 World Series and the ball that goes through Buckner and defines um, so many different things and ultimately leads to more than anything I think it's remembered because that the, the big, not, I actually think in the big picture, the story there is less the Mets winning the World Series than it is the curse of the Bambino being extended, right? They hadn't won the World Series in however many years it had been to that point, and it would be nearly another 20 before they would do it again. Roger Clemens is in the freaking dugout or in the locker room shaving for the post-game interviews <laughs> because they have won the World Series. Um, and, uh, and, and, there we go. and there goes the delirious 10th inning. That might be technically the best call ever, to go from behind the bag describing where, and then it gets through Buckner. You're describing exactly what. It doesn't get past Buckner. It gets through Buckner. It's technically and exactly Perfect, and that's you know at that point that's his thirty seventh year calling baseball games, which it come as no surprise. And and then here come just a couple of the quicker ones, but that will certainly live forever. Uh, here comes Willis, and the 
is going wild. Here comes Willis. He gets it out deep, and Havlicek steals it over the San Jose. Havlicek stole the ball. Havlicek stole the ball. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. Frazier. The great Howard Cosell. And then here's one more for you. Send it in, Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> that one pops up. You know, these algorithms are unbelievable. I mean, I, I look, maybe I don't know much about anything, but these guys doing algorithms, they're pretty smart. They have some idea what they're doing. They know better than I know what I'm interested in watching on my phone. One of, sometime today... One of these calls is going to pop up on your phone and you're going to watch it again. Well, that's my point. Oh, I that see. one, the send it in Jerome one, pops up on my phone every day. And you watch it every time. Every time. <laughs> Who could not? Multiple times. When the dunk first happens, you hear moaning. There's that, that one of the announcers goes, wow. oh, no, it's more like a, oh, it's a, it's a weird sound. Do you have the whole thing, Cam, or just that, that moment? Because the first right sound that, that is made, yeah, you're right about that. it's a complicated sound. I don't know what it is. It's like an, oh, like you can't even believe what just happened. It's Jerome Lane dunking a basketball for Pitt uh, and, and the background. The backboard doesn't just shatter. It explodes. Um, and it is, it is, and then Charles Smith is the first person who is his teammate on Pitt who comes over to congratulate him. And obviously, you know, Smith had a long and in some cases notorious NBA career because of one moment. But send it in, Jerome is just sort of the end of the moment. Send it in, Jerome! <laughs> There's like a moment of, oh. Raftery is the best, the <laughs> absolute best. I love the guy. Anyway, 44 year anniversary gives us a chance to do a little remembering and have a little fun. Um, and I hope it brings back some good memories for you as well. This is Greeny. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Was there one more in there that I didn't play? I like all these. How about this? Well, here it comes. goodness oh wow in your life have you seen anything like that uh, we love you Vern forever the, the, the pause and maybe this is just the broadcaster geek in me but the amount of time that he leaves between saying oh wow and saying in your life is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It's not too quick. He didn't wait too long. His timing on that is absolutely perfect. All right, good fun. Good little stroll down memory lane there. Hembo, trivia, go. All right, this will be Rob Manfred's 10th season as the commissioner of baseball. Over that time, that since 2015, only one pitcher has struck out 2,000 batters. Who is that pitcher? The only pitcher with 2,000 strikeouts since 2015. Answer next, ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio. Hambo is at work. Today's trivia on TV was one to which the answer was Tim Legler, and Tim Legler got it wrong, and that really cracked me up. Um, I think that's the first time we've had that. I think I remember one time Mark Sanchez was the answer to a question, and he guessed it right. Rex was Rex has guessed himself many times. Um, one of which he was right, most of which he's wrong, but he's always <laughs> guessing himself. I don't recall you ever asking a question to which the answer was the person themselves and them getting it wrong. It, it has to be the first time because, from my experience at least, professional athletes know almost everything about their careers, especially extraordinary things. In this case, you have the highest three-point percentage ever in a season. And he, of course, guessed Kyle Korver. Yeah, that was crazy. But anyway... Uh, today's uh, radio trivia question is... Since 2015, which was Rob Manfred's first season as commissioner, there's only one pitcher in baseball that has 2,000 strikeouts. Who is that pitcher, the only one with 2,000 strikeouts since 2015? All right, I'm really kind of struggling here because I know, I'm torn between two people. Cam, which way are you going? I've got five names written down. <laughs> I'm torn between two people. Tell me which one to pick. Uh, luckily for me, I don't think I'm going to be the answer to this question, so I won't have the issue that Legler had. I'm going to go slightly off the board, but not really, just maybe not one people are thinking as much of. I'm going with Zach Greinke. Oh, okay. I hadn't even thought of him. It's not bad, and it would be just sneaky enough for Hembo's taste. Uh, Clueless Nick, are you in on this? Yeah, I'm torn between Verlander and Scherzer. Now I'm thinking Granky. I'll probably land on Scherzer, not overthink it. But Okay, he's going Scherzer. That is also Brandon's guess. Brandon went Max Scherzer. Do we have anything from Pineapple Jack? Yes, he's going Garrett Cole. All right, so the two names that I had written down were the two names I had written down were Justin Verlander and Clayton Kershaw. Now, was Kershaw's best days too early for this? Like would he would he have would his dominant seasons have mostly predated 2015? I'm just going to go with my gut. My, my first, the first person who came to my mind was Justin Verlander, so that's the name I'm going to go with. The guesses are in. Hembo? The correct answer is Max Scherzer. Yeah. Oh! So we got, we got two rights. So that we got, is, was, was that Brandon got it right? Which is the first time in a long time. Yeah. And did, did Clueless Nick get it right? Mm-hmm. Clueless okay, so Nick he's no longer right. Clueless. So what do we call him now? Clueful Nick? <laughs> Clued in he, Nick? He looks like, a, he looks like a, an inmate today, by the way. An inmate? Oh, my God. What it's, does that even mean? It he's means wearing, wearing a flannel. A very bright shirt. He's wearing an orange shirt. Let's not let Hembo comment on what other people yeah, look like. In all like. honesty, I mean, you, you know what? You know where you live? Where you live, live in a glass house. You live in the glasses. Your house isn't even glass. Your, your, your house is made of like an ice sculpture on a, on a, on the, like a 31 degree day. <laughs> it's one temper. It's one degree away from melting away entirely. You should not be commenting on the clothing choice, particularly of a young man who just overcame the moniker clueless Nick to actually correctly guess your trivia. I'm going to push back here because if I had worn that exact shirt, you would have said something negative to me, but instead you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt? 
I don't know that that's true. It doesn't look that bad from here. Like I, I, I mean, he's I'm, I'm watching him on a monitor, but it just looks like a like an orange shirt. It's it doesn't look like shirt. that unusual of a shirt. I have worn much better shirts and gotten much more. Criticism no, you have not. Let you. me stop you there. You have never worn a better shirt. You have only worn worse shirts. It is a degree of it is a degree of of <laughs> a level of worse. Some of them are slightly worse. Many of them are unimaginably worse. I don't know that you've ever worn a shirt that was flat better than that one. Like this one that you're wearing today, for example, is like a um, a forest green. But the the color of the buttons doesn't make much sense to me. Like the the buttons are like um, not sure what the name of that is, but but they don't. They don't quite work for it. It kind of looks like a, an ice cream cone that's half chocolate, half vanilla. Right. So they look it's like marble buttons. Yeah, you're wearing like marble buttons on a on like a on a forest green shirt. Where did you get that? Uh, I actually don't know. Uh, but you're saying that my shirt is is less attractive than Clueless Nick's shirt. I'm saying everything about you is less attractive than everything about him. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everything. I've never seen Clueless Nick in person, and I think it's unlikely I ever will. But he sort of strikes Consid- me as a fairly handsome guy. Considering you've only met me once, I, I think it's, it's low I odds. Barely, that I've Nick. only barely met him. Okay, speaking of... We have two producers who work on Get Up, have been on the show for a year I've never met. So there was a day, it was either Monday or Tuesday, Cam, you have to remind me. But Evan Colton was in your chair. He had hung out with Cam during that Bristol symposium to which we were not invited. Correct. The Caprese keep, salad. You keep using the word symposium. Well, you, what word should I use? What word should I use? Think meeting, tank. Meeting of the minds. Think tank. It yeah. was a think tank. It was an ESPN radio think tank to which the, the We didn't the want any of your invited. thoughts. Yeah. Either way, he, Evan Cohen meets Cam. His takeaway is he described him as ESPN radio's heartthrob. Is that a characterization that you agree with? With his previous haircut, yes. He had like that Jonas Brothers haircut. Now he's like ESPN Radio's like heartthrob who was forced to go to the army and thus got his hair shaved <laughs> off like Elvis once upon a time. <laughs> and it's just finally growing back to like a human place. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't how your, your hair does grow fast, reasonably fast. But the next time it, it's just my one tip. The next time your hair goes back to being long and sort of luscious and spectacular don't cut it all off yeah i prefer it that way i don't mind mixing it in a buzz cut every now and what i hate is the in between which is where i am now or it's just like a no this is way better than it was a month ago oh i disagree oh well you're totally wrong you're like samson you should not cut your hair off under any circumstances because it will sap. It will take all of your strength. I'm away. impressed with that reference. Oh, that's a biblical reference you for are, you right wow. there. So you think I don't know the story of Samson and Delilah? Get out of here! <laughs> I know everything that has to do with hair, <laughs> but not strength. If it has to do with hair, I know everything there is to know about it. Um, anyway, so the question was about baseball, and the uh, the 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 preface of it was that Rob Manfred has announced. That after his, is it his new contract extension that he has signed? That's right. That he is going to step away from his role as the commissioner of Major League Baseball. I know it is, he's not the most popular amongst fans. I actually think most of the decisions he's made have been good ones. I think people like to pick on commissioners. I think if you look at most of the biggest decisions he's made, he was proven right. I said the same thing about his predecessor, Bud Selig. Um... I think the biggest change he's made, obviously, has been the pitch clock. That's maybe the most significant change that has been made to the sport since, like, the live ball. I mean, literally, like, 100 years ago, and it was a smashing success. And I say that begrudgingly 
because Rob got that job ahead of me. Those of you who are old school Mike and Mike listeners, when did he get that? When did he succeed, Bud? 2015. In that role, 2015. So you may remember that back in the early 20-teens, when it was frequently talked about that Bud was going to step away from that job, that we ran a campaign where I felt I should become the next commissioner of baseball. There was nothing jokey about it. Some may have perceived it as joking, but I was doing nothing of the kind. And so I would like to state now for the record to Rob and to Pat Courtney over there at Major League Baseball and everybody else, to every single baseball owner, I'm throwing my hat in the ring. I would like to be the next commissioner of baseball, and I will tell you why. I think I would do an outstanding job. I'm not kidding. I really think I would be a great commissioner. I think I have an understanding of a great many different elements of the business. I have a true love of the sport. I would represent the fans first and foremost, but with an understanding of the limitations that exist on that. I'll continue to make this case as we go, but I'm telling you right now, I want the gig. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcasts.